Welcome to Art More Than Ever, a podcast from the Vermont College of Fine Arts. I'm Erica Heilman. Till Schauder is an award-winning German filmmaker who now lives in Brooklyn, New York. He makes both feature films and documentaries. But after 9-11, he felt a strong pull to true stories. And since then, he's made three critically acclaimed documentaries about lives that are impacted by seismic shifts in the Middle East and Europe. The Iran Job follows Kevin Shepard, a professional American basketball player who's recruited to play for the Iranian Super League. The film was shot in Iran in 2008 and 2009, only months before the uprising of Iran's Green Movement, when protesters demanded the removal of Mahmoud Ahmadinejad from office. Chowder's more recent film, When God Sleeps, follows the Iranian rap musician Shanin Najafi, who's forced into exile after hardline clerics issue a fatwa against him. Till Shouter's documentaries feel very much like features to me. There's story and conflict, and there's a deep intimacy in his films. There are verite scenes that are so beautiful and so unlikely, it could mean only one thing. Hundreds of hours embedded with a camera in the most personal moments of another person's life. Here's Till Shouter on Making Documentaries. Welcome. I think for a lot of people, the word documentary implies, um, you know, frontline, and that's not what you do. I mean, no. so I wonder if you could just sort of quickly describe the approach, your documentary approach, which is very different from that. Because I'm, I am a narrative filmmaker. That is my. That's where I come from. I cannot help when I approach a documentary to always think of story, uh, character the composition of characters, who's the protagonist, who's the antagonist, who's the villain. Like so I I naturally think in kind of screenwriting terms when I when I make a film and I can't help it. I sometimes I try to shut it off but it doesn't work. So there are always character scenarios that I think of and and with the current film When God Sleeps, uh, same thing. I mean, you have a a rap artist who has a death fatwa an Iranian rap artist who has a death fatwa, kind of like Salman Rushdie, only with music. And here he falls in love with the daughter of the first prime minister of post-revolutionary Iran. And that's obviously Romeo and Juliet right there. So I can't help but structure my stories that way in terms of the composition of the characters and also in my visual approach. I mean... You know, I find um, there is a reason why narrative films are told the way that they're told, um, because it's engaging. And so why not use that for documentary when when, when you can? You shot all of um, When God Sleeps? No, I shot most of it. I shot basically the majority of the verite footage. So That's what I wanted to ask you about, which is the the arc of learning someone through a camera, and, and they're learning you. It's almost like a sort of an animal relationship. If you're shooting for hours and you're studying the behavior of a person, what's that experience like as a shooter? Well, uh, the getting to know each other part is crucial, of course. And um, there's always, in the beginning, there's always this excitement on both parties. You know, we're getting to know each other and this is fun. And then pretty quickly that excitement wanes on the side of the subject when they realize this is not a one or two day affair, but that guy is coming back and he's coming back and he's coming back. And, you know, in 
both the Iran job and also when God sleeps. I mean, the Iran job, I stayed with Kevin. I was with him and just uh, became his roommate, essentially. And when God sleeps was similar, where I was really, every time I was in Cologne with Shaheen, I was very, very close to him and oftentimes stayed over and... And so there's always this moment where they get frustrated and then you, you know, and then they overcome it, hopefully, um, so that they get kind of used to the fact that you're just not leaving as a filmmaker. And then um, I try to literally be a fly on the wall and just, you know, it's not that I don't talk to them. Um, I talk to them, but let's say I have a day of shooting, I talk to them for two hours and the rest is just observation. And it's funny you, you mentioned animal. It really is a bit like an animal, especially with Shine. <laughs> um, yeah, you get to know their habits and how they do things and sort of their restlessness and feeding habits and <laughs> all that. <laughs> do you fall in love? Uh, it's pretty hard to fall in love with Shine. He's a little rough around the edges. Um, but... Um, no, I, I guess I do in a way with both of these characters because of their talent. With Kevin in the, in the Iran job, it's very easy to fall in love with him because he's such a likable guy. Shine is more complex. Um, he has some sides to his character that are very unlikable. In fact, that was often the problem in the edit where a lot of our uh, producers and consultants said, you know, you're going to lose the audience with this guy. But I never thought so because I they said that based on very long rough cuts that weren't shaped very well, right? But I was never afraid that people would go with him because there is so much passion and commitment and also just plain talent. And I think it's the talent part that always um, made me come back even though we've had some tough situations, you know, and... He's a bit like um, Klaus Kinski, perhaps. You know, we had a situation where he's, he took his maze and sprayed it into my face point blank because he was so sick of me always having my camera in his face, I guess. But it's it's this talent. When I saw him perform and, and saw him as a musician, who he is, that's when I guess I did fall in love with him, and at least to a point where I could manage to stay with him for this um, uh, you know, three years, which wasn't so easy. Your experience behind the camera over the course of many hours, on on a visceral level, what is that? What happens to your ego? What happens to the passage of the way that time passes? What's the the physical experience of watching someone's behavior for that long? It's tough on your back, <laughs> having to carry the camera and stuff like that, but... No, it's. I find it very interesting as long as the subject is interesting, you know. And that's why picking your documentary subject is obviously so crucial. Um, Shine was never boring to me, so I could have. I mean, I literally stopped when my, you know, when I physically couldn't do it sometimes, or you know, after a while, I learned to sort of understand when I when I've captured a moment or so. But then something else could happen, you know, Lely calls or some some news about another threat or something and um so you always had to be ready but it didn't do anything or it doesn't do anything to my ego i i'm happy to step back and you know let my subject 
basically do what they do and and watch that. Is it does, is it is it almost the experience of um, greed? That feeling of oh you know oh this and this and this. Oh totally, I'm very greedy as a filmmaker. I I I'm a hunter gatherer and I hunt and gather as much as I can because I know from experience that it's with this with this massive amount of footage that you get nuggets that other people think are too good to be true almost right um yeah i'm very greedy <laughs> have to admit the awful not knowing in making a film like this when you're shooting for years what role does doubt play in that process for you how does doubt creep in? Well, doubt creeps in when you're shooting for a while and you feel like nothing substantial is happening. That does happen to me sometimes. Um, in Shine's case with When God Sleeps, again, the situation of a musician living under the threat of a fatwa is interesting and not i mean it's so interesting that you can bank on something coming out of it what, exactly what that will be is never clear and i could not have foreseen that through the course of the filming he would get basically a second fatwa that was from a filmmaker standpoint uh great obviously and then sort of in terms of outside of his core story the whole refugee crisis in Europe and globally and how that plays into the story is also something I couldn't have predicted. But of course, once that happened, it was clear that that's part of his fabric as well because he is a refugee. <laughs> this is also a refugee story of somebody who had to escape his country to be in, in safety. And so, you know, when these hundreds of thousands of people swept into Germany, that clearly resonated with him. And so that needed to be incorporated in the film. So by now, by that you've shot, you shot for three years, then you you go into edit. I mean, it seems to me always at the beginning when you're when you have a, when you're sitting on a mountain of tape, and it's a documentary. So these are um, this is an account of a life or meant several lives. How much story is required to tell the story? Do you have a personal approach to how you carve your way into? making those decisions i mean typically you know you start with an assembly you 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 start cutting the very obvious scenes that you remember from shooting you know like for example with the with when god sleeps the moment at the window where he breaks down a character that's sort of rough around the edges throughout the film and seems to have a guard impenetrable guard crumbles in front of me that's obviously a fantastic moment and so that needs to be cut. And then you basically go to the other few key scenes that you remember from shooting. You cut those. And little by little, you you, you, you start with the secondary scenes. And then you end up with a, a probably 30 or 40, sometimes 50 scenes. And you start assembling them. Usually you do it by chronology of the story. And then you lay it out once or at least that's what I do and then you start rearranging the chronology and you start throwing that out of the window and not worrying about it anymore and you start crafting the story and you know and then you start puzzling around and um 
arranging things and but in that process you throw out stuff that you had always thought were you know indispensable <laughs> however there are always scenes that are not negotiable for example if anybody would have ever told me cut that window scene out i would have said see you later you know that that obviously there are scenes like that what what is that moment at the window about for those people who haven't haven't seen the film why is that the heart right i mean it's a scene where loyalty is tested to the max you know imagine your best friend leaves you in your, the most difficult moment of your life and you've got to understand your friend because you don't want to put him in danger and yet you have your feelings and you're hurt and that's at that point what brings him to the tipping point and makes him crumble a character who's usually macho tough and takes pride in not being emotional or or, or just not being phased by any of this stuff around him which are death threats and and so forth and so here he is and is basically contradicting everything that he's told me up to that point in the film by this simple act so i think it's a moment that anybody in the world understands on a visceral level you know it's like when even when like as a kid let's say you're a kid and and you have your first real friendship and then some loyalty test comes up and your friend fails it or you fail it right this happens throughout life, I think. My mother saw the film once, and she said, "It this is like Jesus on the oil mountain, you know, where his, his, his apostles, they drop out one after the other. There's something um, very universal about that loneliness that he feels there. There are moments like the moment you allude to in, in the standing at the window that are so... I think you said in the beginning of this interview that you that almost you seem almost impossible that they've been captured or that you happen to be there at this particular time. What is that experience like when you're suddenly in the middle of something that seems bigger than you both? Mm. That's that's a great experience, and I've had that on in the Iran job and here too. Um, with the window scene in When God Sleeps, that actually was probably the most special moment I've ever had in my filmmaking career. Um, you know, where something so raw happens and it's so intimate and it's a, really a moment between him and I at that point because obviously I had no crew there and it was just me and him in the room. Um, so it's a very intimate moment that you then share with the rest of the world because it you know, ends up in the film and gets seen. And all I can say is that I felt it immediately when he walked over into that room. I somehow knew something of significance is about to happen. And, and so I, I just said, do not change the f-stop on the camera because there was a light switch. So I would have normally adjusted the f-stop or something, adjusted the angle to her. And I said, do not, just don't give into, the, in, into that impulse and just keep the camera straight. <laughs> and and I was really I mean I'm terrible usually at these situations I always want to adjust something and then that screws up the shot but here some guardian angel told me don't just hold the camera still and so yeah it was it was amazing and like I said after that was done I knew there's the film you know so it was a very 
liberating moment almost. By the time you have finished a film, whose story is it? I think film is very uh, a collaborative effort, particularly in documentary editing. So I, you know, I never underestimate that. Um, so obviously, there are many people helping to craft a story. Not just the editors, but also my wife and the producer of the film, Sarah, um, who is instrumental in in this process. But I'd like to think that at the end of the day, it is they are my stories because the impetus to make them is what makes a film like this, right? And so that you need an impetus to tell a story, and you need somebody to go out there and capture the footage.、Um, I guess my question has more to do with whose story is it? In the case of When God Sleeps, is it your story or is it Shah- is it Shaheen? Oh, that's the、um, question. You know,、okay. is, yeah, yeah,、um, Shaheen. That's a great question. I okay. Yeah, so is it my story or is it Shine's story? That's a really good question because I think it's both in both of these cases,、uh, both of these films that we we're talking about.、Um, and that's one thing I really respected in him is that he, you know, in his contract, in his release contract, he had a courtesy screening afforded, where, where I was, I needed to show him the film. And there was some language in there that said, you know, if there are factual errors, he can correct them or ask me to correct them. But he took that as I could tell you whatever I want. Like if I don't a certain shot of me aesthetically, I can tell you to change that. That's that was his understanding, which I always knew was not the case. But I left him in that belief so that we wouldn't constantly bicker. <laughs>、um, but I was still very. Uh, the, you're showing your subject the film, especially subjects like that, is very stressful, and so. It's more stressful than the world premiere. So I had to fly to Cologne literally for one day to show him the film, and he came armed with a book and a pen, and、uh, you know he's a writer, so I was expecting like pages of notes and everything.、Um, and I noticed he stopped writing after a while through the screening, and then afterwards it was quite clear that he really enjoyed it. He said, "You made me cry and laugh." All in one, and that's not very easy to do with anybody, much less with somebody like that. And right away, stepped back and said, "You know what? I need you to blur out a few faces because I don't want my family visible, whatever." But in terms of the storytelling,、um, this is yours," he said, "and I'm not gonna argue with you about anything."、Um, so that was a great moment between us because. That's where this artistry comes back, and you know, the th- same thing that attracted me to him in the first place is, is that sort of understanding that he had. Yes, I'm making a film about him, but the way that I tell the story is mine. So therefore, it's both basically our stories. In you, is that what is the ingredient or the proclivity that makes you? Do this. Why do I do this? This is a good question.、Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm because I'm passionate about something. You know, that's why I do it. Even though it's、uh, often not pleasant, or it takes a long time, takes me away from my family, and so that's another reason why it has to really be something that gets me going. I've asked myself that question a few times during the process of this, like. Why don't you just stop this and <laughs> go on vacation or something? But something about it is compelling enough to keep doing it. 
put another way, what ingredient in a personality must be there to make films? Well, you need a lot of patience and you need the ability not to judge people even when it seems very easy to to judge them and willingness to be open for discovery both with the character and also with the story and willingness to adjust constantly to what what's going on around you um yeah you got to be flexible and persistent and probably a bit crazy That was Till Schauder. Schauder is an award-winning filmmaker and professor in the Vermont College of Fine Arts MFA film program. To read more about him and for links to his work, visit his faculty page at vcfa.edu. Music for Art More Than Ever is from Scott Barkin, a guitarist, songwriter, and also a graduate of the VCFA composition program. Links to his work can also be found on our website, vcfa.edu. If you like the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes or telling people you know on social media. This helps new listeners find the show. This is Art More Than Ever, a podcast from the Vermont College of Fine Arts. I'm Erica Heilman. Thanks for listening.